Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, and as always, for letting us be part of your day. Here we are at midweek. Lots to talk about. The pork industry responds to Impossible Foods announcing that they're going to add pork and sausage to its lineup of plant-based products. We'll hear from Dr. Dan Kovich, Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. We'll talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Bravo Agrofinance. A couple of busy weeks uh, coming up here where some real market-moving events could take place with uh, reports and, of course, possible U.S.-China trade deal next week. And we're going to talk uh, land values with Randy Dickett with the with Farmers National Company. Where are we with land values as we start 2020 and what might be coming down the road this year? We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But joining us now is Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, as we get a look at the start of that U.S.-Japan trade deal. Dan, thanks for joining us. Yes, good morning. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we're into the new year, and uh, the first part of that U.S.-Japan trade deal underway. How's it going so far? Well, I think uh, it's going very well. I mean, we're, we're extremely happy with the uh, implementation starting uh, a few days ago and getting us on a level playing field with our global competitors. And, uh, you know, it's our largest market. Um, you know, we're number one by far, uh, just under uh, right around $3.7 billion in, in trade between beef and pork combined. And uh, But as you know very well, uh, the last uh, year and a half or so, uh, we've been losing a little bit of share because of the the uh, disparity with the inbound duties. And uh, this gets us on a level playing field from a duty standpoint and uh, and also some of the sanitary issues as well. So, yeah, we're very excited going forward. Um, a lot of optimism. Uh, and I would say a lot of optimism across all major sectors within within Japan, retail, food service, convenience store sector, et cetera. How quickly do we see the impact of this trade deal? Quickly, or, or will it take time? Well, I think um, I think both. I think some sectors we're going to see it quickly. Um, you know, uh, I look at the beef sector in particular, where we were at a thirteen percent disadvantage vis-a-vis Australia, and uh, I think in the retail sector and some of the other sectors, uh, that that rebound could be fairly quickly. Uh, we were in Japan in December, right before Christmas, uh, and met with the trade. And uh, and like I said, uh, the, the incremental buying has already begun. Of course, we, we don't see it yet in the stats because we're a little bit delayed there to, to see it. But we know that business is ramping up in some sectors already. Other sectors, it could take a while. Um, but, but nevertheless, uh, you know, the, uh, the tailwinds that are going to come with this agreement positive all the way around eventually i think for both uh, beef and pork in most of the sectors i was going to ask is, is will one of those sectors perhaps see uh, a, a more immediate benefit uh, than the other um you mean between beef and pork um, yeah mm-hmm. is that yeah well yeah i think uh, i think beef will probably be maybe a little quicker because it's a much more dramatic um, difference. Um, but that being said, on pork, processed pork, seasoned ground pork, there's immediate benefit in those sectors as well, uh, to the tune of, uh, you know, 6% difference, uh, whereas we're looking at a 13% difference uh, on the beef side. One other thing I should mention, Mike, too, is that uh, the timing really uh, couldn't be better for this. Uh, of course, we wish it would have been sooner, but as it is, the timing is pretty good because. Uh, we have a lot of things going on in Japan at the moment, uh, not the least of which is uh, increased uh, tourism, uh, and uh, there will be uh, increased tourism above the normal amount later this year because we have the Olympics, Summer Olympics in Japan, which will be a lot of uh, foreign visitors coming in. Uh, you know, for that obviously. 
So this is a real food service opportunity as well on both beef and pork. So that that's really incremental to what we are seeing as normal growth over there, which is already large in and of itself. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, about the U.S.-Japan trade deal that uh, is now uh, taking effect in Japan. Uh, this is phase one, right? There's more to come on this. Yeah, this is phase one, which uh, which uh, immediately benefits agriculture, which is a really good thing for, for us in terms of timing. But, yeah, there could be more to come on a, on a broader scale as well involving automobiles and other other industries so uh yes uh part one of two but i'm glad that we're in part one <laughs> what is the <laughs> japanese consumer reaction to our u.s meat products there oh we're i think um you know all things aside uh we're the gold standard in terms of perception and and uh, and quality uh, and, and safety is a given. Uh, I, I hesitate to bring up safety, but safety is important too. But quite honestly, to do business in Japan, safety is just a given. It, it, it's it's a requirement to do business. So beyond that, you know, our reputation is very good in terms of uh, high quality uh, product, grain fed, luxurious, rich taste. Uh, this is something that. Uh, is well ingrained in, in the consumer in Japan, and uh, and like I said, we are we're well to to, uh, to help expand and, and consumption beef and pork consumption is growing as well. So these are all uh, factors that line up very well to uh, to uh, benefit the U.S. Uh, ag industry in 2020. And what about their economy? We we know that how our economy is going impacts especially i think a uh, beef demand here domestically what's the situation in japan as far as uh, uh, their ability to purchase our our meat products well the economy on the surface maybe doesn't look as robust as some economies but uh, but quite frankly it's a very wealthy demographic in japan a wealthy demographic the largest savings rate per capita in the world um, so you have a wealthy uh, demographic that wants to, and they're willing to and able to pay for quality. So I think in this regard, um, it's a very good match or a very good fit for U.S. products. We don't want to be the lowest cost uh, item on the street. We want to we want to charge a fair price, and our price could be higher. But for the quality, we think it's very fair, and uh, and and this is where you know the. Uh, the match with the Japanese consumer is so good because they do have the spending power to pay for the quality that they want. So this is this is the good news. So we'll look forward to uh, what we hope will be a very good year and years to come in our meat exports to Japan. Sounds like we're off to a good start with the new U.S.-Japan trade deal. We've been talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for the update. My pleasure. Uh, anytime. All right, look forward to talking with you again. Thank you. Coming up next, Dr. Dan Kovich with the National Pork Producers Council as the pork industry responds to new plant-based pork products coming on to the market and some strong words from the, uh, the leadership, the CEO and founder of Impossible Foods. We'll talk about that next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Senex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, let's get some 2020 outlook for the cattle market. Joining us now is Kevin Good with Cattle Facts. It just feels like uh, there's a tone, there's a vibe here that this could be a, a very good year for uh, the, the cattle industry. Am I overly optimistic or would you agree? 
Well, Mike, uh, as we turn the page and look at 2020, I think uh, we do have some things out there that uh, we can be rather optimistic about. I think most folks would suggest that uh, we'll have uh, better traction as far as global trade, which should be supportive as we think about prices here domestically. You know, first of all, I think we we finished up 2019 in pretty good fashion despite a huge hiccup the second half of the year with the plant fire in Holcomb, Kansas. But the market has came back very nicely here at the end of uh, 2019, and we're basically starting 2020 and turning the page and, and rather optimistic that we can hold prices together, if not improve a little bit. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. If your soil could talk, what would it say? If it's healthy, it may already be saying some good things about your future. Because farmers who use soil health building systems that include no-till, cover crops, and diverse species and rotations report greater productivity, profitability, and resiliency to weather extremes. Learn more about what your soil is saying about its health and your future. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably... Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, Impossible Foods has announced that they are adding pork and sausage to its lineup of plant-based products and that they are continuing to test other products, including bacon. And they have come out and said that their mission is to completely replace animals in the global food system. Here with a response from the pork industry is Dr. Dr. Dan Kovich, who is the Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thank you for joining us. How do you respond to this? Well, thanks, Mike. I, you know, they say that uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but uh, I think this is taking things quite a bit too far. You know, I, if we look at, uh, you know, what pork is, Pork is a very specific known quantity. It, it comes from a pig. It has to come from a pig. You can't make pork out of anything else. You certainly can't make pork out of soybeans. I mean, granted, you can feed those soybeans to a pig and make pork, but the pig is an important step in there. So, you know, we obviously feel very strongly that this is very uh, inappropriate for the Impossible Foods Company to come out with an impossible pork. Now, we have, we have seen this. The dairy industry has fought this for a long time with imitation uh, dairy products in the marketplace. Beef is dealing with this as well. Uh, wh- what is the, um, the plan of action by the pork industry? Do you, do you want to address it with the FDA, a, a possible lawsuit over the use the, of the name pork? Uh, how do you think this will play out? Well, we're currently exploring all of those options um, and, and looking, again, at what we need to do to protect that term pork. I think that if we look at, you know, if we look at the way the English language is used, some words are more specific than others, right? If we look at the word burger, for example, that historically has been applied to, to different types of food, not saying it's appropriate to use it here. But if we look at the word pork, again, that is highly specific. There is no other usage, at least in the food space, for that word. It is the flesh of a pig, and, and, and that's the only thing that, that pork can be. So when it comes to this specific term, pork, 
we need to protect that. We need to plant a flag that, you know, that is a known quantity. And to call anything else pork is not appropriate. We're talking with Dr. Dan Kovich, Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Now, uh, it seems that one of the areas for, whether it's beef or pork or whatever, to really respond here to consumers is about what your product is and the, the, the nutritional aspects, the health aspects, things like that. Now we see where uh, the uh, officials at Impossible Foods are claiming that their pl- product, their plant-based pork, would have less calories, less total fat, less saturated fat, zero cholesterol, higher iron. Uh, will you challenge some of those uh, claims on a nutritional and health aspect? Well, I think absolutely. I mean, first of all, of course, we haven't seen this product. I personally haven't tasted it. They tend to keep these things very close to hand until they release it. But I think it is a very important point that, you know, pork is a very complex product and has a very distinctive nutrient profile. Um, You know, things such as, uh, you know, the fat and protein are important components of a diet. And again, these products, although they seek to mimic the taste and texture, uh, perhaps of our product are not going to have the same nutrient profile. I mean, this is a highly processed food. They've already indicated that, for example, it is much higher in salt than pork. It's just, it's a different thing. And to try and claim that it is pork is, is not appropriate. You know, it's, it, it is misleading to consumers, whether they realize it's plant based or not. Um, as to what sort of nutrition they're going to get from the product. But also, again, just basically, pork has a strong standard of identity. This is not pork, regardless of, of its nutrient um, profile or, or any other parameters. Pork comes from a pig. As these products become more and more uh, prevalent in the marketplace, how concerned are you about consumer confusion as to what they're purchasing? Again, I think it's important to recognize that that consumer confusion can come in different ways, not just do they know whether they're getting pork or something else that's claiming to be pork, but also, you know, what is that going to do in terms of nutrition that they're providing for their family? Do they understand what that difference is, and are the claims that these companies making supportable? And again, I think it's just the critical starting point is to say that, no, you cannot call this pork. This is a soy-based product. You need to come up with a different term for it, despite any claims as towards its similarity towards our product. Well, these products are getting a lot of attention now, but along with that comes more scrutiny, and they'll have to stand up to that scrutiny, won't they? Absolutely. You know, I think transparency is something that, you know, we all want across the food industry. Certainly as a pork industry, we are trying to be as transparent we can about how we raise animals, how our product is produced. Um, and, and these companies are going to need to do the same thing to be clear about, again, how highly processed these products are, what actually goes into making them, um, and, you know, be able to back up any claims as to their nutrition. They're going to need to do all that. But, again, I want to go back to they're going to need to come up with their own name for this product because mm-hmm. it's not pork, and that's going to be the, that's the first step that they need to do. Yeah, that's a key point. Now, I think the other thing, it's one thing for new products to come into a marketplace. Hey, it, it, that's our... That's our system here. So, you know, if, as long as everyone competes fairly, uh, there's a place for, for a new product. But, uh, I think for the livestock industry to, when you look at what's being said now by the uh, CEO and founder of Impossible Foods, when they're making statements like, our mission is to completely replace animals in the global food system and making predictions that by the year 2035, animals as a food production technology are going to be history. Well, that's that's a whole different ball game now. It, when they come out and make it very clear what their intent is. Well, you know, they they certainly can can market themselves to to their investors however they want. I think that's a pretty uh, a bold claim. I mean, you know, we stand by our product. What we want is a level playing field. We know that our product can compete in the marketplace, and we know that people like pork. And we also know that we can produce it well, sustainably. You know, again, 
competition is fine. We just need a level playing field, and we need respect for the laws, the tradition of food naming nomenclature in this country. We can't have people using terms for a product that just simply is not that product. Because obviously, and the dairy industry has been dealing with this for years and years, obviously there is value in the name of milk or dairy or in this case pork. Or these these companies uh, wouldn't be trying to use that same name to get the benefit from the from the traditional value that uh, your industry has, uh, has built up over the years. Exactly. People like pork. People love bacon. Those are things that people want to emulate that. We get that. But again... Pork can only come from a pig. End of story. Yeah, just like, uh, you know, you don't get milk from an almond or something like that. So, but, and this will be the challenge for for agriculture is to get that message out. It's also the the opportunity to tell, in, in this case, uh, the pork story. Exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, again, we need to, to protect those. And again, the term pork is, are you know is it incredibly specific i don't think there's really any disagreement in the in the food agriculture space as to what pork is what pork means now we're getting to the point where this is a very specific term that is being usurped and and you know we obviously at pork feel the the line needs to be drawn here and i think the challenge will be too um to get that message out about what your product really is and how it's produced because there are going to be some people that uh, think they're saving the world or doing something to help uh, benefit the environment by purchasing these project products so it's going to be important to tell the uh, the complete story about in in your case pork products and pork production exactly and you know we do have at pork we have our we care initiative i mean we are very open to talking to anybody about how we produce pigs how we're good stewards of the animal, the environment. That's a story that we are eager to share with people uh, because pork is absolutely something that people can feel good about eating, um, and, and they need to know exactly what they're getting when they yeah. buy pork. There are no pork plants, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are buildings, but <laughs> yes, yeah. there, there, yeah. you cannot you cannot grow pork by planting a seed in the ground. Absolutely, that's not. what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. So yeah, well, a whole new a whole new uh, term for pork plants. I guess we'll have to be watching that there are no <laughs> pork plants to to eat from for sure. In, in that way. All right, Dan. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. It's a story to watch. Dr. Dan Kovich, Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. With the start of every new year, you always have new possibilities. The new year is upon us, and Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network, has plenty of news to be excited about. Your host, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture, has expanded the daily conversation into new geographies around the country. Mike has new online content, too. Navigate on your computer, smartphone, or tablet to AmericanAgNetwork.com. Under the Adams on Agriculture tab, you can listen to Mike's latest shows and also catch up on Mike's new weekly commentary. Adams on Agriculture is also available as an Alexa skill on your Amazon device. Adams on Agriculture with Mike Adams, presented by the American Ag Network. We're looking forward to new conversations with you throughout the year with information farmers and ranchers need to know. Check it out. Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grains trading at the Board of Trade, tentative ahead of Friday's monthly WASDE report from USDA, which will provide final production and inventory numbers for the 2019-2020 crop. Soybean futures virtually unchanged in the overnight session. Factors like forecasts for a larger Brazilian soybean harvest, keeping the market under pressure short term. But in the long term, we could see market movement linked to a simple question. What are the terms of the U.S.-China trade deal? March soybeans eked out a marginally weaker close on Tuesday. An hour into the day on Wednesday, March at 
947 and three quarters, up three and three quarters. March corn down a quarter of a cent at 384 and a quarter. Had an inside day on the charts yesterday. In the wheats, Chicago March up a penny and a half, 551 and three quarters. Kansas City March up a penny and three quarters at 476 and three quarters. Minneapolis Spring Wheat March down two at 544 and three quarters. May down a penny and a quarter at 554 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, the February contract down 42 at 126.10. April down 60 at 126.77. Feeder cattle March up 52 at 145.65. Waiting on cash cattle activity to develop in the central and southern plains. Lean hog futures, February up a nickel at 69.27. April down 12 cents at 75.65. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 36. NASDAQ up 28. The S&P up 8. February crude oil in New York down 83. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. I think this is a fascinating story and one to really watch this these new plant-based products coming into the marketplace. And while it's one thing that yeah, welcome you can say we well, there's room for new products and competition is that it, you know that's part of uh, doing business but when these companies come out and say their goal their intention is to do away with animals in the global food system well that kind of draws a line in the sand there and kind of says that's their intent that's what they're out to do now we can kind of scoff and say well that isn't going to happen but um you just can't take that for granted um uh, we know consumer uh, opinions and feelings change on these things. And while some of us may think that would never happen or why would anybody want to uh, eat one of those products if, you know, instead of a traditional or what we most of us would call a real meat product, well, uh, you know, consumer trends change. So you have to be mindful of that if you're in the livestock industry and take this seriously. It also places groups like soybean growers kind of right in the middle of this as they are a supplier of a product to make some of these new uh, these new market these new products coming in but also a supplier to uh, what they acknowledge is their main market the traditional livestock sector. So it really it, it's creating some interesting dynamics if this continues to move forward the way it has and I had not planned on talking about that with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst with Robo AgriFinance, but we might as well. Steve, thanks for joining us. It does create an interesting situation, especially for soybeans, doesn't it? Yes, thank you, Mike. Uh, good morning and Happy New Year to you and everyone out there. Um, it does. I mean, it's. I mean, we've talked about you know the plant-based, and, and I'm not going to get into the livestock or the animal protein side of it, but you know, it does provide an opportunity. For those in the row crop sector, you know whether you're producing soybeans, whether you're producing peas, which will, you know if you look at the Beyond Meat as a pea protein isolate, you know there's two pea processing facilities gone up in uh, Canada, I believe in Manitoba, I believe that's correct, um, or maybe Saskatchewan, and so 
you know, for farmers in the northern, you know, the northern plains and the Dakotas, you know, there are some opportunities that, you know, this plant-based protein products provide that, you know, present. And as I say to producers, and I've said this in the non-GMO area and the non and the organic area, I said it's, you know, set your biases aside. Um, you know, if this is a product that consumers want and, and consumers are willing to pay for, um, we should be willing to, uh, just, you know, really, we should be able to, pro- we should be able to be willing to profit from that, and I don't think that's a bad strategy. Uh, this is not, you know, we're not advocating one way or the other that one is better than the other, and I don't want to get into that discussion. But the fact is, if it's an opportunity for farmers to produce a crop at a profit, I, I think you have to seriously look at that. And while I've said I, I can't imagine where they would take over and the whole marketplace or eliminate animal proteins uh, completely, but in a in a time of tight margins, um, if you start cutting into that margin even a little bit, it makes a difference, uh, say, for the livestock sector. Well, that's right. And 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 the other thing you have to remember though is is to look at look at the plant based products in the store. Now, are they probably going to get cheaper than they are now? Probably as they scale up but the fact is if you go into and and i'll well i don't go to a whole foods very often i don't want i mean but, but i go and look and see what's there because it's interesting from a from an agricultural and a food perspective what what's selling in stores you know it's it equivalents to 12 dollars a pound you know the majority of consumers in the united states are not going to pay 12 dollars a pound for a ground plant-based and i'm going to put meat in quotes you know when they can go to the store and buy ground beef for Three, four, five, six dollars a pound. You know that's a pretty that's a pretty significant bite out of the consumer's pocket that they have to think about. So I think you know that's the other thing is that you know what is the value of 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 you know real meat, um, and also I think here's the, the contradiction, and this is and I will say this, you know we've we as a research group met with the CEO of Beyond Meat. Oh gosh, it's been three years ago now. So this is even before all the hype and everything that's you know you know it, it was just starting. And and one of the things we asked him about, and one of the things that you know was very evident to me, when you look upon you look on the label, the number of ingredients in that product is kind of staggering. And and I asked him about that, and he 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 admitted to me. He said that is an issue we have to deal with. That we have to deal with the number of ingredients. It's not what would be probably considered by many people a clean label, and I'm not being critical. I'm just, you know, kind of trying to look at look at it and and think about, you know, when you look at ground plant-based protein, and we'll pick on Beyond Meat, or it doesn't matter, Impossible Meat, and look at 100% beef or 100% pork or 100% chicken. That's all it is. It's not. There's nothing else in it. There's no additional additives, and so you know that's the challenge that 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 segment of the protein has is that they have a lot of ingredients there to try to hold you know hold the product together give it some flavor um and he admitted this as well he said that flavor is one of their challenges how do we get it to be as flavorful as you know quote real meat un, you know unquote right so it, it has its challenges as well it you know it addresses a certain population and i what was i heard yesterday and I, i'm still thinking about this um oh i can't remember it was something about this about this segment, and is it is it vegan? What was the deal? I can't. Oh, I know what it was. Burger King in Europe, and and this is an issue. Burger King in Europe, um, you know, made an announcement about the cooking of you know their plant-based protein meat is cooked on the same griddle or flat top that you know 100% beef hamburgers are, and so you know if you're a vegan, you need to be aware of that. And, you know, that's an issue for some people. If they're vegetarian or they have uh, dietary issues that, pre- you know, prevent them or create problems in their digestive system with, you know, 100% beef, but they order a, a vegetarian product, and I don't, I'm not talking about meat or anything else, but it's cooked on the same surface as maybe, you know, beef is cooked on, it can cause problems for them. So, you know, there's, this is a, an issue that's going to be debated a lot, um, and it's going to be an issue, and it, it is a segment. Uh, we've had, we've seen some here in St. Louis. We've seen where it's added probably more people to restaurants, where it gets the whole carload gets to go in and have a, you know, have a burger at a restaurant or a quick uh, QSR because there is an alternative for you know friends and family who are vegan or vegetarian. 
but we've also told in kind of you know our informal surveys with our beef analysts and as he goes around, you know they've seen that initial kind of typical consumer gets excited about a new product and we've seen a you know, burst in sales and you know now that we're you know a good we'll say a year into it, um, those sales have, have died down considerably and people have gone back to you know traditional. Um, Kind of reminds me, reminds me, Steve, of organic a little bit. You know, yeah, uh, if people are, I've always said this about organic. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd have, you know, I respect your right to want organic products, and yeah. if if you're if you're producing them and you can get people to pay more for them, even if you can't prove they're better, but if you can get people to pay more for them, more power to you. Uh, Absolutely. But, and uh, and organic has its challenges with keeping things, you know, the purity or uh, if you will of their product, yep. and uh, they've been fighting that. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if these products can break out of what is kind of considered a niche, because obviously they have their eyes set uh, on on a much larger piece of the pie. So we'll see how that plays out. All right, we're talking with Steve Nicholson with Robo Agrofinance. Uh, let's get your outlook here, because we have big reports coming out. We have a possible U.S.-China trade deal being assigned next week. Uh, what do you see ahead here for the next few weeks for the markets? Yeah, I think it's it's a great question, and there's a lot going on in the market. And you said it off the bat, even before we got started. I mean, there's an awful lot in the market to digest, and, and I think that's where the market, I won't say it's confused, but I think there's a lot of things happening that's going to create a lot of volatility. You mentioned the reports, of, you know, next Friday, or uh, week, yeah, this Friday, sorry, gosh, time goes fast, all right, we just started the new year. You know, a lot of those reports always tend to have some surprises. You know, if I knew what those surprises are, you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation. But I think the things I'm looking for is I'm watching yields on corn and soybeans, and I'm watching harvested acres. Um, the yields may be pretty well set, but we may see some adjustments to harvested acre due to what happened in, and I'm thinking down on harvested acres, uh, because of the, of the very wet fall that we had in you know, crops that just won't get out of the ground. I think the other thing to watch that I'm watching is winter wheat acres. You know, we do see, particularly when I look at soft red winter wheat, you know, it's, that market's kind of been on fire when you look at the other markets, uh, which it typically is not, which is Chicago wheat, for those who don't trade wheat. Um, you know, that market, SRW, is uh, one of the tightest, one of the lowest ending stocks has had in, in about a decade. Um, and stocks to use ratio is not quite that low, but, and, but I think that's something to see. Do we see a little more soft red winter wheat acres? And, and that'll be manifest in winter wheat acres. So I think those are the those are the, the markets I'd be watching. I think particularly watch the Chicago market. So those are opportunities. I think for we always see something weird come out of that report that you're like, well, I didn't see that coming, and provides opportunities on the marketing side on the upside for selling. So I think that's one thing I would talk to farmers. The USMCA has passed the House. It is now in front of the Senate. Of course, the Senate has like, some other things in front of it before it gets to USMCA, but I think that will at least, I think is, that is the market's digested that, and I think from a standpoint of USMCA, it, it wasn't aimed at agriculture in the first place, but the fact is it has now added certainty to the market that those supply chains that we've established over the last 28 years with Mexico and Canada are going to stay in place and, the, and commerce continue in agricultural circles. So that's a good thing, and I think in this sort of market, you know, that sort of thing can help. But also watch the political uncertainty in the world. That will add a lot of volatility to the commodity markets as well. So much going on. Steve, we'll talk there again is. after these reports are out and hopefully a, a trade deal signed, and, and then we'll talk yeah. more about the markets then, okay? Thanks. Okay, great. Thanks. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Stay with us. We're going to talk land values next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, 
publicity and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manual manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. And joining us now is Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates for some pork market outlook for 2020. Steve, thanks for joining us. What are you expecting here in the new year? A lot of pigs, Mike. I think that's uh, the, the lesson we got from the December hogs and pigs report that wasn't a real surprise to us. But uh, continued growth of breeding herd, continued growth of productivity. Um, you know, lots of hog numbers. Um, we think that uh, demand has been very good the last year. Domestic demand up four percent or so through October. That's the latest data we have, and and growing exports. And uh, the issue still is, uh, you know, the of the top ten factors for the market this next year. The first seven are China. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Did you ever ride your bike with a clothespin and a baseball card? Or use a typewriter for a school paper? Then here's a timely alert. Americans born from 1945 to 1965 are five times more likely to have hepatitis C, which often has no symptoms, but is a leading cause of liver cancer. The good news? Treatments are available that can cure hepatitis C. Talk with your doctor about getting a blood test for hepatitis C. Know for sure. A message from the CDC. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running, so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now, don't spend all that free time in one place, unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Another thought on this 
these plant-based products coming into the marketplace. Maybe we'll maybe we need a coalition. Maybe we need the uh, pork and beef industries. Maybe even poultry. Uh, others get in on this and and can combine forces have a real meat campaign out there. Maybe maybe we need something like that. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And and again, if you're a soybean grower, you're kind of right in the middle of this. How will that play out? It's going to be fascinating to watch uh, as as this moves forward. Well, something we've been watching uh, throughout 2019 and now into the new year of 2020 is land prices. Joining us now is Randy Dickett. He is Senior Vice President of Real Estate Operations for Na- uh, Farmers National Company. Randy, thanks for joining us. Uh, quick review of 2019. What did we see with land values? What was the trend? We saw a lot of uh, basically stability despite all the negative uh, economic aspects and the uncertainty in the market with uh, trade wars and late uh, planting and delayed planting and how many acres and what final production. But overall, land values held in there fairly steady in most places uh, throughout the year. Hasn't that's been a real story, hasn't it? With this this ag economy downturn that we've been going through for the last few years, many feared a crash in land values. It's been a softening and not a crash. I mean that that's a significant story. Yes, it is. I think every year, uh, you know, we're all kind of wringing our hands, worrying about you know net farm incomes way down, historically low there for a few years. Uh, interest rate uncertainty for a while, like I said, the trade wars, uh, everything going on, and we kept thinking that that shoe would drop and land values would drop some more just because the economic underlying facts to it, but it didn't, you know, and part of that is the low interest rates help support land values, and the second big thing, there's still a lower supply of land for sale. We haven't seen the financially forced sales of land that, uh, you know, people we're old enough, remember, from the 1980s. So all of that has helped support the land values, and there's uh, enough capital uh, between farmers and ranchers and investors to buy the good quality land that comes up for sale. What are you expecting in 2020? Well, you know, again, we kind of wring our hands, and, you know, things are a little better on the economic front for some uh, with the net farm income, but regionally, those areas that had the, uh, like the northern uh, plains, North Dakota, with a very poor harvest, some other areas that the crop yields were definitely lower or uh, prevent plant came into play, they might struggle a little more and might see a little more financial stress among producers, which is unfortunate, uh, but it may bring a few more farms on the sale and may pressure land values in those areas a little more, but other areas had you know, an acceptable year, and it seems like, and it seems like uh, we'll kind of play out the same as we have the last few years, kind of keeping steady, unless there's some unknown factor that pops into the market someday. Yesterday here on the program, we were talking about the impact of the MFP payments. Uh, That would come into play here as well, right? I mean, had it not been for those MFP payments last year, we might have seen uh, more land be uh, forced onto the market. Absolutely. That is another one of those underlying factors. And, uh, you know, I've seen different statistics, but up to almost a third of that net farm income came from a source that was, uh, you know, government support, uh, whether that's directly through MFP payments, conservation payments, or... uh, supporting the crop insurance so that had a a huge factor in that cash flow and having uh, capital in the farmers market or a farmers hands to uh, pay that uh, working working capital debt randy we always know individual situations can vary but overall i mean basically we're saying if if it's good value uh good quality farmland up for sale there's plenty of interest in in it and, and and activity to purchases. Maybe it's a little less for the the lower quality land. Correct. You know, for good quality, there's uh, normally interest in in about any area, and sometimes uh, some of those sales of good quality, right location, the right interested buyers are bringing above what you would think it would bring uh, today. So there's good demand for that. Uh, although there's there's uh, um, fewer. Uh, 
uh, buyers at any auction or uh, for any tract of land, and they're being more cautious, uh, which is wise to, you know, look at the finances, make a, a good purchase. Investors, uh, individuals, and, and institutional are stepping back into the market a little more uh, than they had been a few years ago. Uh, it's not a great big move, but for those states that allow that corporate ownership, uh, we're seeing a little more interest that coming along. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, when farmland comes up for sale, are we still seeing mostly other farmers purchasing that land, or is there that outside interest? It's still mostly farmers, uh, definitely. You know, historically, they'll buy 60 to 80% of what comes up for sale, depending on the area. Uh, and that's still pretty much the way. You know, once in a while, there'll be a sale where, you know, uh, it's just investors, and usually those are local investors who own some land or have inherited some in the past and want to own some more uh, as an investment. Uh, but still, farmers are the predominant buyers in, in most areas. Are we seeing more acres uh, go into cash rent? Yes, that's a continuing trend that we, we've experienced uh, in our company, our landowner clients. Uh, as generations change and also times change, uh, want to move to that cash rent uh, for various reasons. Uh, we also have some farmers over time who have uh, moved to the cash rent more. Uh, just, just because uh, you know, simplifies their bookkeeping, handling, and so forth. So, and it's also a way to compete for land uh, to farm some more acres. Uh, I think farmers are definitely, and again, wisely being a little more cautious on that. But rents uh, continue to be more prevalent, and they continue to hold fairly steady. Uh, again, despite the, some of the economics. All right, Randy. Thanks for the overview, and hopefully, we see a good, strong 2020. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Mike. Take care. Randy Dickett, he's Senior Vice President of Real Estate Operations for Farmers National Company, joining us today on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. 